Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 235. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code TherapyChat when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy-to-use, HIPAA-compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code TherapyChat. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with someone who has a wealth of information to share about a very important topic, which is workplace culture and how it impacts employees. My guest today is Rajkumari Niyogi. Rajkumari, thanks so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited to talk to you because as a trauma therapist, I know that the workplace environment is so impactful to my clients and oftentimes can really activate trauma symptoms. And I know that you're the author of The Wit Factor, Shifting the Workplace Paradigm by Becoming Your Optimal Self. And so just wanted to get your thoughts about so many things. So before we even dive in, I'll just ask you if you would to share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you. Yes. So I have spent my entire career in Silicon Valley startups initially, and then I went into Adobe for about three years and then Facebook for about two and a half years. And, um, you know, it was at Facebook where I had the time of my life. In essence, I had a great boss, I had an amazing role, I made a ton of money. It was Facebook at the end of the day. So it was just a, a truly incredible experience. What was fascinating to me was the entire time that I was there having the time of my life, I felt excluded. And that was so confounding to me. So I ended up quitting as many of us do when we don't feel that we're welcomed or that we feel like we belong. 
And I went off to Southeast Asia to do a bunch of research and to really explore what the heck was this feeling that I had and, and the kind of paradox of like loving my job, but then hating being there. It was kind of very confusing. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up going down this rabbit hole of epigenetics and neurobiology and became absolutely obsessed and eventually self-taught and came back and built a coaching framework that specifically addresses exclusion and really help individuals kind of shift out of that pain in their life by stepping into a more, if you will, self-regulated place. And one of the things that um, I do as, as a coach as an executive coach with senior leaders, is help people rewire their neuroception. Now, I've said quite a few very fancy multi-syllabic words here at this point, so I think it's a good time to to dive in and start kind of defining what the heck all of these things are. Neurobiology is simply the study of the nervous system. Stephen Porges uh, is the author of the book called Polyvagal Theory, and he has a really nice body of research. It's 40 years long around really looking at the nervous system and understanding its triggers. And and neuroception is a term that he actually coined, as as you well know, Laura, to, for for me, it's the technical term for belonging, really. And uh, it's, it's really about the intricate system that's within us that allows us to understand where we feel safe, where there might be some danger, and where we might be experiencing some life-threatening situations, whether it's with a person or people or, or, or even an environment. And when we talk about the workplace and how this is relevant, depending upon how one's behavior, especially as a leader, someone who holds a sense of power on a team, for example, the way in which they communicate is constantly impacting that person's nervous system and the team's nervous system. And there are, there are so many ways in which a leader can really step into a place of, of inspiration and hope and motivation uh, to empower employees. Sadly, most often leaders just don't know any better. They don't have the resources or the learning or the education or, or the skill set. And they step into fear. And, and, and so that becomes the challenge of really inviting leaders to understand how they're showing up, look at their behavior patterns, and see if they really are able to shift into a more transformative way of engaging their employees to really up-level that bottom line and that level of performance. Wow, that's beautiful. And you are speaking our language here on Therapy Chat because genetics, neurobiology, neuroception, polyvagal theory is all... Those are topics that my audience has heard a lot about and will definitely be eating up what you're saying. And so just to let you know, many of our listeners, probably about two thirds of people who listen are therapists. And so many of them as therapists are in leadership roles in their own practices. So, you know, you're speaking to leaders who are listening, but also people who work in, of course, organizations where they may feel just like you did, excluded or not heard or traumatized, victimized. And so I think this conversation is really, really important. Fantastic. Yeah. And so when we kind of start to explore this, this newer science called epigenetics, what we come to find is that our neuroception is actually a default setting at birth. 
So let's take a take a step back here and, and actually define epigenetics for those who may not be familiar with that. Epigenetics really has two pillars for me um, from a behavioral standpoint. One is that the stress factors in our immediate environment are, are constantly impacting our gene expression. And so we may be turning particular genes on or off, secreting particular neurochemicals based on what we're experiencing. The second pillar for me is the most fascinating, and that's the transgenerational trauma that gets passed down. Now, there's some some research that's kind of all over the place around how many generations we actually hold in our cellular biology. According to Rachel Yehuda, it's seven generations, which adds up to about 210 years. Uh, for Dr. Joy DeGruy, it's about 300. And for Resmanakum, Resmanakum, it's about 490. So, you know, honestly, it doesn't really matter if it's 200 or 500. <laughs> trauma is trauma and it sucks. Mm, yes. <laughs> That's down transgenerationally. It sucks even more. And it goes deep, 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 deep. <laughs> right. And so, you know, in, in working with and working with Bert Hellinger's model of, of family constellations and, and really understanding for the last almost 20 years what that is, I was very curious on how to reappropriate that modality into Silicon Valley and really invite leaders to experience this level of rewiring and, and, and to do it from a visualization standpoint versus Bringing in, for those of you who do know what the modality of family constellations or family systems, a group of people to represent different elements within a, a, a larger system in the field. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we could spend an entire podcast series talking about that. <laughs> but really holding the transgenerational elements of an individual and kind of looking underneath the hood to see, so where are those neurochemical ruptures where are those places in your ancestors, from parents to grandparents, that they experienced unsafety, you know, basically, um, looking for those places of exclusion? We know that uh, when someone experiences exclusion, it registers in the brain as physical injury. Pain centers light up. And we also know that when someone may be experiencing exclusion, but simultaneously experiencing resources of support and accompaniment, that mitigates the pain tremendously. So when we hold this concept of epigenetics, and we start to look at individually, what am I bringing to the table as a leader? We have to turn inwards. We have to look at the internal ruptures that get passed down transgenerationally. Titrating mindsets is what I like to say. I'm carrying the titration of two lineages in my mindset, and I'm showing up. And that's impacting my level of belonging, which I like to define as my ability to create safety for myself when we hold on to the definition of neuroception. And inclusion, that's the ability to create safety for others. It's that term that Google did when they did their research on the Aristotle project about what is psychological safety, the, the two traits about being aware of what people are experiencing emotionally, and then being able to voice that with a sense of protection and support and being able to be vulnerable. So epigenetics really is a foundational element in the leadership development world, I believe, that really allows inclusive culture to thrive. 
Wow. But, you know, it seems so lacking in organizational cultures in general in in the U.S. And, you know, when you speak about Silicon Valley, we always hear about the workplace culture at Google, Facebook and, you know, all the, the big tech firms. But, of course, there are corporations and organizations across the country, large and small, that are not as progressive in the way they're addressing those things. So I think it's amazing, fantastic, incredible, and very exciting as I hear you talking about it, what you're, what you're doing there. And, but I'm, I'm wondering what you think employers across the board, whatever type of organization they're in, need to know about how their employees may be feeling excluded. Like, what are they missing? What do the leadership miss or not understand? I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. I'm actually not even sure how to answer that. I think that any any uh, relationship, any dynamic, any culture that tolerates and makes permissible exclusion is going to invite trauma and toxicity into the culture. So, yeah. you know, interestingly enough, we need to become completely intolerant of intolerance. You know, we need to be part of organizations. We need to become these 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 cultures that are, are working to really ensure psychological safety and we need to truly understand the detrimental aspects the way that exclusion wreaks havoc on a nervous system and the trauma that it causes you know we don't know what a person's individual epigenetic transgenerational trauma is. And so we need to be incredibly mindful of how we are creating cultures that are in fact completely dedicated to psychological safety and creating a a sense of belonging everywhere. When we look at workplace culture that permits that level of, of exclusion, What we are saying okay to is toxicity. What we are saying okay to is trauma. And we know for a fact that whether your leadership style is fear-based or hope-based, you'll you'll eventually get there. Like, you'll still get to to the finish line. However, it's really important to understand that the cost of getting to the finish line from a fear-based leadership is exponentially more expensive than one that is around empowerment and psychological safety. The, the level of cost in healthcare and medications for anxiety and depression are through the roof in tech companies. And we need to understand that if we continue to harbor behavior that just is intolerable, you know, um, and, and really um, invites exclusion. And, and that can look like interrupting, that can look like ridiculing, that can look like ignoring, dismissing, humiliating, you know, making offensive comments, anything like that, that results in some type of exclusion will create over time havoc on the nervous system and eventually trauma and possibly even PTSD. So we have to be so much more mindful around the ways in which we are approaching the crafting of inclusion and belonging. Wow. You know, as you were talking, I just was thinking, what a metaphor, too, for, you know, when you said the cost is exponentially higher, 
I, I think about how sometimes you have to talk dollars and cents for leaders to understand this isn't just the nice thing to do, which I wish would, that would be enough, that it's the right thing <laughs> for humanity. But also, this is costing your company money. And I feel like metaphorically, it's the same in how our culture overall in the U.S. does not address the impact of trauma and how it has this huge detrimental cost to our society in terms of healthcare costs and lost productivity in people's lives and people's well-being. And, you know, it's just, it's painful to think about, but it's hopeful to recognize how change is possible. And, you know, like you said, going from a fear-based or to a, using either a fear-based or a hope-based culture, it can make a world of difference. Without a doubt. You know, I was, I was uh, talking to a, a CEO in December. They had just gotten uh, $97 million in funding, a startup. And uh, I, I sit down, I went there for a day-long training on building inclusive teams, and I hadn't, hadn't yet met the CEO. So we had an hour scheduled, and we sat down, and the first thing out of the CEO's mouth after nice meetings, of course, was, what's the point of me being nice to my employees? Uh-huh. And I gasped, you know, hopefully yeah. silently. <laughs> yeah. And I immediately stepped into coach mode and, and rather than be judgmental and kind of be like, you don't know. <laughs> right. Or I'm not working with you, you jerk. <laughs> um, I started asking lots of questions as, as, you know, therapists and coaches do so beautifully. And when I finally understood a little bit more of what the CEO had to say, my response to that question was simply this. Every single time you interrupt, dismiss, or ignore your employees, you are actually shutting down the part of their brain that's making you money. And the CEO looked down. It felt like 10 minutes. It was probably three seconds. And then looked back up and asked the following question. So what do I do? And that's the opening, right? Like that's the that's right. the possibility right there. And as as many of the the people listening on this call today know, we have two hemispheres, and the left hemisphere speaks completely differently than the right hemisphere. So therefore, every single person on this planet is at minimum bilingual. And the left hemisphere speaks transactionally. It's about problem solving. It's about giving advice. And it's the right hemisphere that's all about relationality. It's all about being in relationship to oneself, to others, to the world around us. And, and so if we teach our employees that we only value transactional language, problem solving, then what we're forgetting is that at the end of the day, we actually have to build relationships with them. You know, I read a Harvard Business Review article many years ago called Why Leadership Development is So Crucial to be Done on the Job. And it said that 60% of the worst, the workforce has to interact with a minimum of 10 people a day. If we're not masterful in relationship building, then we're going to suffer in our workload. I often say that the left hemisphere is about the human doing aspect of who we are. And the right hemisphere is the human being aspect of who we are. And as leaders, we have to become incredibly masterful at vacillating between both hemispheres and becoming fluent in both languages. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you 
a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes. And there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. Yeah, you're really, you know, I own a group practice myself and I'm really thinking about how the more stressed and rushed I am, the less able I am to be relational and how that is not the way I want to be as a leader. And, and it doesn't, it, I'm sure it doesn't work for my staff either or anybody that I'm interacting with. So that's a, you know, the part of that is like making this space and having time for being relational like that instead of just like rush, 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 problem solve, do more, do more, do more, you know? Right. We have to start valuing other parts of our employees other than their ability to check things off a to-do list. Yeah. Well, one really important thing I want to ask you about in our current environment that relates to both, you mentioned with epigenetics, there are the stress factors in the person's current environment in their life. And in other words, the way I hear that is the trauma that people have that they bring with them or that is related to things that are going on for them now. And then the transgenerational trauma that you mentioned, those, whether it's seven generations or however many generations it is of legacies from the history of their ancestors, including how white people and our role in white supremacy, I'm saying that as I'm white, that the legacy burdens that we carry from from our ancestors' actions along with what we are doing now that um, relates to upholding white supremacy and for Black people in the workplace, like what do employers need to understand about the experience of Black people right now when there's so much eruption of awareness among some that they didn't realize before about the inequality that's been going on for 400 years in the U.S. and before that with the genocide of indigenous peoples here. What do employers need to understand about how to support their black employees now, regardless of the color of the leaders? Yeah, it's a great question that is incredibly complex yeah. to answer. And I am not a black person. I'm a mixed race individual. My father's from India and my mother is um, so white that I always joke that she's practically blue. <laughs> and, you know, I think there are two really important things to understand here. 
The first is that, let me go back to Resma Menachem for a moment. He's the author of My Grandmother's Hands. He has an incredible podcast uh, with Krista Tippett on, on being. Yes, he's a beautiful speaker, so powerful. Yeah. And he doesn't use white supremacy. He uses white body supremacy. And I think that distinction is so important because after I listened to that, you know, my father was actually born in Uganda in the, in the capital of Kampala. And he grew up in black communities his whole life and then went off to London to get educated uh, in, in university. And my father is the most anti-black person I know, which is mind-blowing to me. Mm. And after listening to Resma Menachem, I started to understand at a whole deeper level that my father, with his dark skin, who can pass as a, as a black person, even though he's Indian, he's much, much, very melanated in his skin color, really had internalized racism happening within him. And I started to understand through Resma's words that when we hold white body supremacy as the default, any other melanation like held, that's juxtaposed against this white body supremacy becomes other, becomes wrong, becomes not good enough. Moshe Saif is uh, one of my favorite epigeneticists. He has a ton of videos on YouTube and really enjoy listening to him. And um, he talks about how when baby mice are traumatized, uh, there was a research done at McGill in 2012 that the NR3C1 gene gets turned on and and how that methylation occurred was when the, the, the baby mice figured out how to go to adult mice and get snuggled and then they would release oxytocin and it would actually, you know, methylate the gene, which means that it kind of turned off or banished or whatever, which was very surprising to Moshe. One of the things that Resma talks about is when we hold this, this juxtaposition um, of white body supremacy against any other skin color, um, people born who are not white actually tend to have higher levels of cortisol at birth. Mm-hmm. That is devastatingly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The babies come into this world, black babies especially, come into this world with higher levels of stress right out of the gate. So how do we tie all of what I just said back to the world? We need to understand this. We need to understand that we are dealing with nervous systems that are already set at a setting that is on high alert. You know, Sarah Payton talks about, she's the author of Your Resonant Self, alarmed alumnus as a state of the nervous system. It's the one between, for her, engaged and, and fight. And this alarmed aloneness is truly about when something suddenly disappears or someone suddenly disappears. It really kind of activates the panic circuit, Jan Punksepp's work around the seven circuits. And so if these babies with these high levels of cortisol around the world are showing up in our workplaces, it means that relationality is absolutely key. We know that when we are babies and we're learning how to mirror back using our mirror neurons, that a neutral face from the one who's caretaking us is actually coded as hostile. So if you have a white leader talking to people of color on their team and they're uncomfortable, they're experiencing discomfort, they don't know how to feel in this moment, they might be going through layers of white fragility in whatever capacity, and they're holding a neutral face, 
those around this leader are going to code that as hostile. It is so critical that we really understand that A, we are human, B, feeling feelings can be incredibly uncomfortable, especially if it's a new experience, and C, that relationality is what allows us to be human in the workplace and to prioritize that level of relationality. And if one doesn't know how to be relational, and it's very possible, I talk to many people day in and day out, I coach some of them and teach them that new skill set, It's simply a rewiring of the right hemisphere. It's simply tapping into that care circuit for self and working through that unresolved trauma that gets held in the right hemisphere and in the body. Um, Many of you know well Bessel van der Kolk's work, Body Keeps Score. We know that when individuals, young children, are sexually assaulted, epigenetically the CD45 gene gets turned on. This miscalibrates safety throughout their entire life. And so how we start to shift that back into a place of engaged state is by moving that individual back into their right hemisphere and allowing them to rewire and tap into that care circuit and be able to self-accompany. And and, and Sarah Payton calls that the, I believe that she calls it the, the resonant witness. Oh, I'm not remembering. Gosh, I'm completely forgetting what she says. But I'll just pause here because I've said a lot. (laughs) No, but you're referencing so many people that I admire. And Sarah Payton has been on this podcast before. I, I value her work so much. Everything that you're speaking about is very resonant to me and hopefully to our listeners. And I know that you and I agreed before we even started that there wasn't enough time to do as much as we wanted to do in this in this conversation. So we are going to bring a part two. But let's just end with what does it look like? You know, you kind of described what it looks like not to be relational as a leader in the workplace, what are the behaviors that are relational? And I know, you know, you won't be able to really go in depth with it, but we can we can get back into it in our part two. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, the foundation is to really look at unmet needs. You know, Sarah Payton did some phenomenal research around being able to correlate uh, needs to neurochemicals. So we now know, and Paul Zak, the neuroeconomist uh, who wrote the article, The Neuroscience of Trust, also has done research around this. There's just a ton of research around, um, for example, trust and connection and vulnerability secretes oxytocin. Autonomy and purpose secretes dopamine. Being seen, being heard, and meeting secretes serotonin finding reliability and predictability and safety in people and situation uh, secretes benzodiazepine, being able to be playful and working through trauma secretes uh, endocannabinoids and respect and warmth, self-accompaniment and love is all about endogenous opioids. When we don't have these needs met, our system moves into danger and life-threatening situations that are being coded in our internal landscape and we start to secrete cortisol. The number one thing that leaders can do for their teams, and especially for the BIPOC community, is learn to uncover the unmet need and to acknowledge, to label it, to mention it, to speak it, 
we know that when we actually say things like, even though I'm feeling really angry right now, I'm so grateful that I'm, you know, in my home talking on this podcast. That sentence structure is a neurochemical shift. It's an Indiana Jones moment. We actually move from a cortisol of stress, even though I'm feeling really frustrated right now, frustrated correlates to the fight state in our nervous system. I'm so grateful that I'm feeling X, Y, Z, or I'm experiencing this. Now we're moving into an oxytocin place. So the mastery in the usage of language with our employees is so critical. We are always in the position of creating hope or creating fear. Oh gosh, that's so beautiful. I can't wait for our next conversation. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to share your wisdom on Therapy Chat today. And Rajkumari, where can people find you if they can't wait for the next episode? Where can they see everything you're doing? Yes, so definitely follow me on LinkedIn. I post quite a bit there. My website is rajkumariniyogi.com. And for those of you who do know Sarah, I am so honored to announce that we have just completed a 12-episode series podcast on the ROI of EQ. You and she did? Yeah. And that's about a week and a half. I'm just building the page right now on my website to get that going. But perfect. Can't wait to see that. Um and yeah, she's she's amazing. And Deb Dana's been my guest too. So I these people that you're you're talking about are like I, I said to see Deb Dana in Rome this year, but darn it COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Well thank you so much. We'll end for now and I'm gonna link to everything I can that you mentioned in our show notes and it's of course your website and where people can find your podcast series and your book and all of your coaching work and we'll have you back very soon so thank you so much for being my guest today my gosh laura such a pleasure and honor thank you so much today's episode is sponsored by therapy notes there are many ways to keep your practice organized but therapy notes is the best Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy-to-use HIPAA-compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code THERAPYCHAT. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT 
at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.